Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 8. If you're using the Bibles in the pews, you'll find this on page 631. While you're turning there, let me express what a tremendous privilege it is to stand in this pulpit. Uh, When I think of how I was shaped and and formed under the ministry of this very pulpit, uh, it's uh, indeed a privilege. Let me pray. Lord, as we read your words this morning, would you disperse our ignorance and lead us in truth? Your word is truth. I pray that you give us clarity to hear and understand what you have said, what it is that you have called us to do. In the name of Jesus. Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. 
Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. These are the words of Almighty God. And so we said. Let us begin with a little bit of background and context. This is a proverb which is written by Solomon. Solomon is the son of David in Bathsheba, and he came to rule God's people upon the death of his father David. Solomon is remembered as the most wise king, being sought after by other rulers of other nations for his great wisdom. And Jesus would later comment on the splendor and glory of King Solomon. These are his writings. Who is the audience? Solomon is addressing his sons in general and Rehoboam in particular as Rehoboam was set to reign over God's people upon the death of Solomon. Solomon is writing to his son, instructing him how to rule well. I want to set Proverbs kind of in our minds in relation to God's progressive revelation. Proverbs would have come to its early recipients. These are the Levitical priests and Israelites under the law of Moses. The Proverbs were a kind of practical outworking of the law. The Proverbs would kind of put feet on the law. They shine a a greater spotlight on the law, exposing the sin of the human heart in the minutia of life. So if the question is, how do I apply God's law to this particular problem? You would have been pointed to the Proverbs. David Murray, in his book, Jesus on Every Page, describes the Proverbs in this way. Some parts of the Old Testament reveal sinners crying out for a king to bring order to their unruly lives. Other parts reveal sinners looking for a priest to forgive their sins. But some parts reveal sinners searching for a teacher to disperse their ignorance and errors, to help them think, believe, speak, and do rightly. And the greatest Old Testament answer to this last longing is the Proverbs of Solomon. The title for our sermon this morning is The Pursuit of Wisdom. Because who among us has not struggled with this, right? We've all been in a situation uh, where I I don't know what to do here. And it's, it's not because I haven't read the right Bible verse yet. It's because I I don't have an experience to apply to my situation. This is what wisdom does. If knowledge is the ammunition, then wisdom is the sights. Wisdom is showing you where to aim your knowledge. First, let us establish a couple of things before we get into our text. That you'll need to understand uh, what, what we're doing this morning. I'm going to use the names of two characters. Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom. <clears throat> I'm not the first to use these names. But these two characters, Folly and Wisdom, are presented to us as persons in our text. They have likes and dislikes. They are capable of speech and persuasion. They call out to men. Solomon continually refers to Wisdom and Folly as her Thus, the names Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom. 
A final word before we get into our text. We should understand that Solomon has spilled a lot of ink in the first few chapters of Proverbs, warning his sons against adultery or taking to yourself a woman who is not your wife. Proverbs 2 contains warnings about the forbidden woman. Also chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Chapter 6 contains further warnings about adultery. In view is not just marital infidelity, but also infidelity toward God. So let's look at our text. Verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? Now here you may get the sense that we're kind of dropping down in the middle of something. You'll remember that the chapter divisions in Scripture are not inspired. They were added centuries later as a way to help us navigate the Scriptures. So indeed, we are kind of dropping in the middle of something. You can flip back a page to chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but there's a couple of things that we should look at in order to see where we're at here in chapter 8. Chapter 7 starts off with Solomon addressing his sons, and he tells them about this adulterous lady who has come to be known as Madame Folly. He writes about an ignorant young man, a young man lacking sense in verse 7, who's seen walking toward her house, the house of the adulterous woman. And she comes out to meet him dressed as a prostitute, it says in verse 10. They have this exchange, and in verse 21, it says, With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her like an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he doesn't know it'll cost him his life. In the next section, Solomon continues warning his sons not to listen to the foolish woman. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, he says in verse 25, for many a victim is she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. He warns that her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. What I want you to see in chapter 7 is that the foolish young man has been seen listening to Madame Folly, following her to her house. Now, Madame Folly lied to him. He believed her. He followed her. She promised him that everything would be okay. My husband is not at home, she says, as if that's the only thing he should be worried about. As Solomon tells us, her house is the way to death. As a bird rushes to a snare, he doesn't know it'll cost him his life. Chapter 8 is Solomon's antidote to this foolish woman, Madame Folly. In chapter 8, he introduces to us another woman, Lady Wisdom. Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom. So first, why women? Why are these two presented to us in this text as ladies? Well, because Solomon is addressing his sons. He knows that his sons will pursue women. He understands that his sons will pursue one of these ladies. They will either pursue wisdom or foolishness. And they will pursue them in the same way that a man pursues a woman. At least in the case of Lady Wisdom. Let me explain that a little better. So nobody's walking down the street and gets hit with the wisdom two by four, right? It, it, nobody, nobody obtains wisdom accidentally. If you pursue wisdom and knowledge, you, you, I'm sorry, you have to pursue wisdom and knowledge. It won't just happen. 
Solomon tells us later in this same, ber- same book that <coughs> foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So foolishness is more natural to our fallen condition. I think we can say that foolishness is not exactly the same as wisdom in terms of the longings of the human heart. I would even say that a measure of folly is what will happen unless you pursue wisdom. It can come about without much work at all. I've used this analogy before with some of you. I actually used it last Wednesday. Think what happens if you decide today that you're never going to cut your grass again. The natural state of things will be chaos. Burley's looking at me like a... (laughs) Sorry, Burley. (laughs) I didn't know that would cut so close. (laughs) The natural state of things will be chaos, not order. If you stop cutting your grass, eventually it'll destroy your home, your property, and your belongings. And I'm saying that foolishness is like the grass that doesn't get cut. Is your neglect. If you just leave it alone, it'll tend toward foolishness, not wisdom. But then cutting the grass is pursuing order. It is intentional. It is an attempt on your part to bring order. And I'm saying that wisdom is more like cutting the grass. It is something you must pursue you will not naturally grow in godly wisdom with that our our text has lady lady wisdom crying out verse four to you O men i call my cry is to the children of man she invites them to come and learn from her as she utters truth wisdom only tells the truth verse 10 take my instruction instead of silver and, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Here we are told that Lady Wisdom has something far better to offer, something that is indeed priceless. It is more valuable than the deepest longings of your heart. So wisdom is something that must be pursued. Once it is pursued, it provides one with glorious rewards. All that you may desire cannot compare. If you were to pile up, as it were, all of the desires of your heart and weigh them against the pursuit of wisdom, you would then find all of the desires of your heart wanting in terms of value. That is a profound statement. We read on to find out what it is that Lady Wisdom has to offer that's so spectacular. Our text goes on to list it all out for us, starting in verse 14. Counsel, sound wisdom, insight, strength. Verse 15, by me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. Princes rule, nobles, all who govern justly. Remember King Solomon is addressing princes and rulers. He's addressing men who will reign as king one day upon his death. And he says, you cannot do that without wisdom. And wisdom is a pursuit. Lady Wisdom goes on with her promises in verse 18. Riches and honor, enduring wealth and righteousness. She says, I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Again, we are addressing future kings here telling them how to fill up their treasuries and how to rule well, because who doesn't want their rulers to rule with justice? 
And the real application of justice can only come from within the biblical framework. This justice is an attribute of God and can only be applied when it's understood in relation to him. Where does wisdom come from? We usually understand wisdom to be a virtue, but here we've seen Solomon has presented wisdom as a person. We're about to, see, about to add a dimension. We're going to see an, an additional dimension to our understanding of wisdom. Verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth before springs, before mountains, before hills, before the dust of the earth, before the seas, before he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was there, declares Lady Wisdom. So wisdom is a person, and wisdom is eternal. It doesn't say that God created wisdom as a concept that he made up in the beginning, but that he possessed wisdom. We're seeing in these verses a kind of shift. Wisdom seems to have gone from being a virtue to a person and now to an eternal person. So wisdom was in the beginning with God. Not only that, wisdom was active in creation. Verse 30, then I was beside him like a master workman. Or a few chapters earlier in Proverbs 3.19, the Lord by wisdom established the earth. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who is John speaking of? Who was in the beginning? The Lord Jesus. So for John, the one who was present in creation... Working in creation is the word. And for Solomon, the one who is present in creation and working in creation is wisdom. What are we to make of this? We are meant to see Jesus himself as eternal wisdom. To see Jesus as the final and ultimate revelation of godly wisdom. This is borne out all throughout human history. Who in all of human history is taught like Jesus did? We hear this expressed in the rejection of Jesus as God. Because what does the Muslim believe about Jesus? That he was a great and wise teacher, but they reject the resurrection. Every generation for 2,000 years has appreciated Jesus as long as he's just a wise teacher. We contradict them when we proclaim what he proclaimed about himself and that is that he is none other than the God of all the universe. But the Muslim, the atheist, the Buddhist, and everybody else will agree that Jesus was a most wise teacher. Before we move on, let me address one point of concern in this portion of our text, particularly verse 24. It may seem a bit confusing. Eternal Lady Wisdom says, I was brought forth. We'll examine that for just a moment. Now, Arius in the 4th century would use this very text to deny the deity of Jesus. Arius would say that this is Jesus coming into being. See, there was a moment just before this when the Son was not, 
And now he is being brought forth. Or you could look at uh, Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. Where he says, today I have begotten you. This goes the, the argument of Arius. Athanasius and all Orthodox Christians throughout the history of the church would say, not so fast. This brings us to the doctrine of the begotten nature of the Son. Let me explain just briefly. You might say that my son Daniel was begotten by me. Let me explain. My DNA was there. It was working to form him into a distinct person. I was not diminished in any way to bring forth my son. This is an analogy, but we see quickly where the analogy breaks down. In a sense, I did beget Daniel, but in a moment in time, there was indeed a time when Daniel was not. You see, the teaching of Scripture is that God the Son is eternally begotten of God the Father, that the Son proceeds from the Father eternally. So what we mean is that there was no moment in time when the Father started to bring him forth. You could say that the Son was brought forth on the day of creation or on the day of his baptism. But this is, this is most certainly true, but we would say that these events are not unique in history. There was never a time when the Father was not begetting the Son. There never will be a time when the Father is not begetting the Son. It's just who he is. Part of the nature of the Father is that he begets the Son and the Son proceeds from him always and at all times. Having cleared that up, let's move on to the conclusion of our text. Verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Here is the pursuit of wisdom, the waiting and the watching. This reminded me of what happens when Jesus comes into the temple, uh, John chapter 8, I believe, we read that the people were waiting for him to speak to him, to learn from him. The greatest revelation of godly wisdom was walking among them, and they waited at the doors of the temple to learn from him. They were pursuing wisdom. Now, Christ has always equipped his church with wisdom. If you were part of a healthy church, you can find wisdom there. The church is equipped with wisdom because the church contains people who love the word of God. Wisdom must be a continuous pursuit, though, because only a fool thinks he knows everything. So when we reach the point of being unteachable, when we can't find anyone from whom we could learn, that is the beginning of folly. So are you hard to correct? Perhaps you've stopped pursuing wisdom our text ends with a warning. Verse 36, he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. It sounds like back in chapter 7, her house is the way to Sheol. The young man who followed after Madame Folly, he was persuaded by her. He went with her. So Madame Folly tempts you to sin. Once sin has had his way with you, it spits you out. This is how Madame Folly kills. She brings you in 
covers you in guilt and shame, leaves you empty, fruitless, lifeless. This wisdom is for men and women, though, uh, in case you thought you were at a men's conference. Of course, men are called to reject Madam Folly, but women, you are being called here to reject the temptation to be Madam Folly. So, are, are you resisting the call to modesty, to purity, to all the glory of godly womanhood? Or do you believe the lies of our culture about marriage? That having children is a curse and not a blessing? This is the voice of Madam Folly. Lady Wisdom is offering you a glory that Madam Folly cannot. Lady Wisdom promises you life. Madam Folly only deals in death. Lady Wisdom gives true and lasting rewards and a glory that cannot die. Madam Folly grips you in your ignorance. And because you hate wisdom, you desire your own emptiness and foolishness. We all know the person who goes through life rejecting wisdom and living in utter chaos. It is the foolishness that brings the chaos. And then the chaos just begets more and more chaos. Lady Wisdom calls you to more and more life, greater and greater life. She says, you'll have the glory of your youth and beauty. It'll go to the right ends. You will grow in wisdom. And when you're old, when you come to die, surrounded by the fruits of a life well lived, your children and grandchildren will gather around and they will sing praises to God on high for the fruitful life that he has given you. And you'll see your generations Or has Madame Folly already killed you? Maybe you already dined at her table. She's covered you with the guilt and the shame. That's the beginning of the corrosion. It leads to death, and now you have regret. Take heart. Your Savior knows the way out of the grave. So reject Madame Folly, repent, and come to the Lord Jesus. Beauty for ashes, he will take that which you've destroyed and give you a life in his fullness. When Madame Folly spread a table before you, she bid you come and die. But the Lord Jesus spreads his table before you this morning, and he says, because I died, you may live. So come, eat, live forever. In the name of Jesus.